If you will, turn in your Bibles to the third chapter, the Gospel of John, beginning in verse 18, as we continue our study through the Word. Now, you will remember last time how Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, and he was a a ruler of the Sanhedrin. He was a teacher over all of Israel, and, and he had been listening to the things that Jesus had been saying and things that people had been saying about what Jesus had been saying. And and Nicodemus decides that he wants a conversation with Jesus. He has questions about the, the kingdom of God and how it is that a person enters into the, the kingdom of God. Jesus was teaching that he was setting up the kingdom and and so Nicodemus A Pharisee, you'll remember, someone who held the law of God in the highest of esteem, living their lives, seeking to please God through the keeping of the the law. And so now, here comes Jesus, and, and he is declaring that the kingdom of God is at hand. Nicodemus had been aware of John the Baptist's ministry there in the Jordan River, that that ministry of preparation, baptizing people into repentance. And and so Nicodemus comes now to Jesus. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And so... Instantly, Nicodemus declares that he recognizes that the power and authority that Jesus has comes from God. And you will remember how Jesus just instantly goes to the the true question that is on Nicodemus' heart. Before Nicodemus can even bring up the kingdom of God, after Nicodemus just affirms that that Christ has the power of God residing upon him, Jesus just tells him that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of of God. And here we see this this teaching of a person being born again. And you remember that Nicodemus struggles with that term, being born again. What is being born again? What is a, a born-again believer? What is a born-again Christian? What does that term mean? I know that before I was saved, I had heard that term, but I never understood it. I didn't know what, what being born again meant. And Nicodemus struggles with that concept of being born a second time, and he was thinking on a physical plane. How can a person be born a second time when they're they're old? How can that happen? And and Jesus says, no, there's two different births. There's a physical birth and a spiritual birth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. And, And Jesus began to talk to him about the fact that this spiritual birth needs to take place, that when we were born, that spiritually we were born disconnected from God. It's like having cell service. We, we had a phone, but we had no cell service. And until that cell service is turned on, there is no connection. There is no communication between us and God. And so we have physical life, 
but we don't have spiritual life until this service is established. And, and what has disconnected that service was sin. Sin is what caused that spiritual connection to God to be ceased. And so there needs to be this this moment when our service gets clicked on and we have the ability to communicate that that's in essence what being born again is and and jesus goes on to talk about the fact that it is by putting our faith in christ that that now our sins are removed and the service is turned on we are imparted with the holy spirit he went on to tell him that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him would have eternal life. And for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And as we pick up here in this 18th verse, Jesus is still speaking to Nicodemus and still helping him to understand the, the kingdom of God that he is establishing. And, and in verse 18, it says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And so we see that a believer is not underneath in condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 in chapter 1, verse, Romans 8, 1 tells us that. But it says that the person that does not believe is judged already. Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus went on to explain to him, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And so by faith, we look upon Christ on the cross. We accept him as our Lord and Savior. And, and when we do that, that is when we are born again. You remember that Jesus had said, that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Again, when he was talking to Nicodemus, he explained to him how when the Israelites had sinned and God had sent judgment upon them, that Moses fashioned that serpent of bronze and lifted it up. And, and if the Israelites that had been bitten by those fiery serpents, if they would look upon that serpent on that wooden pole that their judgment would be removed. And so by faith, they looked upon it and their judgment was removed. And that was a prefiguring of Christ upon the cross. And when we look upon the cross by faith, we look upon Jesus by faith, then the judgment passes from us. And this is the condemnation, verse 19, that the light has come into the world and men loved a darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And so this condemnation now is explained that the light has come into the world. Jesus is the light of the world. 
And it says that the men loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. And so the light came and, and there were those that desired that light and came to the light. But there were those that did not want the light uh, in their life. And, and here we see the explanation. It says because they loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. In verse 20, Jesus went on to say, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. It says everyone practicing evil. And who practices evil? It's someone now that, that is continuing in a sin, is given over to a sin, and, and they practice it. There is an old expression that says that practice makes perfect. And woe to those who are practicing sin, who are getting good at sin, who are getting good at evil. People who cheat others in business and then they start to get better and better at learning how to cheat in others in, in business. People who practice sin and get better and better at it. There is no conviction in their life. But instead they continue to pursue their sin and to perfect their sin. And it says that everybody that is chasing after, that is practicing sin in their life, when light comes, they want nothing to do with, with the light and with the conviction that that light brings uh, in their life. He contrasts that in verse 21. Jesus says, but he who does the truth, what happens comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. And so Jesus is like a magnet. His people are drawn to him and they welcome his revelation. And though the, the light will take and, and repel those that are seeking after evil and darkness, at the same time that that light repels uh, others, it is drawing those that respond to the truth. And so Jesus explains the, the kingdom of God. How does a person enter into the kingdom of God? It is not by doing good deeds, but it is instead by accepting the gift of salvation, the gift of God, of the forgiveness of sins and and how do we receive that gift? By faith, believing that Jesus Christ took our sin onto the cross and our sin was judged there upon the cross. And when that happens, when we have accepted and acknowledged Jesus Christ as, as our way into heaven, when we recognize that we can't get there no matter how good we are, that we cannot get there without our sin being judged on the cross by Jesus Christ. That is the moment that now the Lord comes into our lives. The Holy Spirit now enters us. We are born again and we become a child of God. And, 
And so this incredible conversation with Nicodemus, explaining it clearly that there is no other way to heaven except through the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In verse 22, we see that the scene shifts now back into the Jordan River, back to where John the Baptist has been baptizing people into a baptism of repentance and, and pointing everybody to the Messiah. That was the, the mission of John the Baptist. He was the forerunner. He had come to prepare. He had come to identify and he had come to point all men unto Jesus. And, and so John is continuing to baptize people unto repentance and continuing to, to point everybody to, to Jesus. It says here in verse 22, and after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea and there he remained with them and baptized. Now, Nicodemus, this took place in Jerusalem, and, and Jerusalem is a part of Judea, but out into the wilderness of Judea, this is where John the Baptist had been baptizing out at the Jordan River. And so Jesus goes out into that rural area, and it, it says that he remains there, interesting, with them and baptized. Now, Jesus himself never baptized anybody, but his disciples baptized people. In verse 23, now John was also baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there and they came and were baptized. And so for this short time, these ministries overlap. Jesus' disciples were baptizing people in the Jordan River, and John was continuing to, to baptize there in the Jordan River as well. And, and, and notice this, that John the Baptist doesn't go and join Jesus' group. He doesn't begin to follow after Jesus because that's not what God had called him to do. He was there to proclaim the coming of the Messiah and to tell those who didn't know that, that he is here. And so John continues in his ministry. In verse 24, John's gospel here, the disciple John tells us, for John, meaning John the Baptist, had not yet been thrown into prison. So John gives a, a, an explanation here of the timeline. Notice that he expects that you already have knowledge from the Synoptic Gospels of, of how John the Baptist was arrested. You will remember that Herod had fallen in love with his brother Philip's wife, Herodias. And so he draws her away from Philip and begins to live with her. She is living now with Herod and, and they are living in an adulterous relationship. And John the Baptist speaks out against them and against this relationship. And, and so Herod has John the Baptist arrested and thrown into prison. That is how John's ministry ends. Uh, they're baptizing in the Jordan River. Herod's guards come and arrest him, and he is thrown into Herod's prison. He is kept 
there. And Herod would come down and speak to John, and, and John was speaking to him, but Herodias was the one that didn't like John the Baptist and speaking out against her. And, and you remember how John the Baptist was put to death, how uh, celebrating his birthday, has this big feast, and, and Herodias' daughter Salome comes and dances. And you remember how Herod says that, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom, whatever it is that, that you wish. And that, and that was just an expression saying, tell me what I can do. What would you like? I, I desire to, to grant you a great favor. And you remember that Salome then consults with her mother. And Salome comes back and says, give me the head of John the Baptist on a, a platter. And Herod now feels bad. He, he has stated this in front of uh, all of the leaders and, and the important people. And, and so in order to save face, he, he gives the instruction to have John the Baptist beheaded and his head brought on a platter to him. Here we see that after Jesus had had this conversation with Nicodemus there in Jerusalem, he departs and comes down to the region where John is still baptizing. And, and for a season, glorious moment, they, they are in close proximity to one another and they are both baptizing. And, in verse 25, it says, Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. Now, you remember that John the Baptist is telling them to repent and to get their hearts right and, and to recognize that the kingdom of God was, was at hand. And, and so there arose this dispute between some of John the Baptist's disciples and the Jews about purification. Now, the Levitical law contained many, many ordinances that had to do with washing the, the outward flesh. But you'll remember that Jesus spoke about it is what is inside of a man that defiles him, not not what is on the outside. Jesus looks at the inside. The law, the law looked on the outside. And, and so there was this contention between the Jews and John the Baptist's disciples about purification. And, and, and so verse 26, And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, who who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified? Behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. And and so here we see, though, there was an issue that brings them to John the Baptist. The, the disciples of John are more concerned, though, about what's going on with Jesus and about the, the, the ministry that Jesus now has out in the wilderness. And, and the disciples are disappointed that more people are now being baptized by Jesus' disciples than, than in their own ministry here as well. And and so they come and they tell John these things. And, and verse 27, And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. John is not going to allow the envy or the fickle crowds to make him forget his mission. To announce that the Messiah has come. And then to step back. 
Instead of jealousy, John the Baptist exhibits now a, a humble faithfulness to the superiority of Jesus. John explains that if Jesus' movements uh, were expanding, that is because it is the will of God. God's sovereign authority in, in expanding and contracting ministry. God gives us gifts and callings and he blesses those gifts and those callings and they are underneath the, the control, the sovereignty of God. We have to do what God has called us to do and, and not to worry about someone else's job or position. It may be great, it may be small, whatever it is, we are to be faithful to whatever God has given to us for as long as God has given it to us. Seasons change in a person's life, and, and so we are to be faithful in each season of our life with whatever it is that God is calling us to do. In verse 28, John the Baptist says, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. John reminded his disciples that, that they were forgetting what he had been teaching, for he had clearly th taught that he was not the promised Messiah, but that he was only sent ahead by God to, to do a work of preparation for the Messiah. He goes on now to give them an illustration. And the illustration is going to have the backdrop now of a, of a Jewish wedding. The friend of the bridegroom, uh, what we would traditionally call today now the best man. The best man in a Jewish wedding had, had an important role in, in the timing of the feast and the planning and making sure that, that all the provisions were in place and, and to make sure that, that the wedding ceremony and that the celebration afterwards went, went smoothly. His joy was uh, in seeing the groom with the bride and to have this beautiful wedding ceremony. He was not the spotlight. The spotlight was not on him. He was behind the scenes making sure that, uh, that the groom and the bride were the spotlight. And, and when he had conducted all of his responsibilities, then, then he simply bowed out. John the Baptist sees himself now as the friend of the bridegroom and, and Christ is the bridegroom and, and he has gone ahead of the bridegroom and he has made preparations but now that the, the celebration is here it is time now for John to step back. He describes it this way. He says, he who has the bride, verse 29, is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. John the Baptist's work was to prepare for the arrival of the Messiah, the groom, and, and therefore this joy of mine is fulfilled. John tells his disciples, I'm not competing with them. My joy is fulfilled now. I have fulfilled my calling. 
In verse 30, he says, He must increase, but I must decrease. As the forerunner, his job was to prepare and then to step aside. He who comes from above is above all. And he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. But he who comes from heaven is above all. John wants everybody to know and to understand where Jesus came from. And Jesus is different from everyone else. Everyone else came from the earth. But Jesus came from heaven. And he who comes from heaven is above all. The Logos, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld Him. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and, and truth. In verse 32, And what He has seen and heard that He testifies, and no one receives his testimony. Jesus came to testify the things that he had seen and he had heard, verse 33, and he who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. In the ancient world, if a person wished to give full approval to a document such as a, a will or a, a constitution, he would affix his seal to the foot of it. And the seal was the sign that he agreed uh, with this and regarded it as binding in true. And so when a person accepts the message of Jesus, he is affirming and attesting that he believes that what God has said of Christ and in the words of Christ are true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. Jesus gives the perfect truth of God as he speaks the, the words of God. And, and it says that, God does not give the Spirit by measure that He has given the full endowment of the Holy Spirit without uh, limit. Jesus is a uniquely reliable revelation because He has the Holy Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son, verse 35, and has given all things into His hand. Jesus would say in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and uh, on earth. And so the Son is endowed with all authority to accomplish the Father's purposes. And he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides uh, on him. So he who believes in the Son, what happens? You have everlasting life, the eternal life that Christ has you enter into that eternal life. But the person who does not believe the Son, what happens? They're not going to enter into that eternal life and, and the wrath of God is going to abide uh, on them. Now, the wrath of God it doesn't mean some sudden gust of passion or a burst of temper. Rather, it is the settled displeasure of God against sin. 
we see that it is the settled displeasure of God against sin. And so that settled displeasure of God will rest uh, upon us when we keep our sins. When we retain our sins, then what we are doing is we are retaining now the displeasure that God has against sin. Now we will experience it. That the, the wrath of God abides until uh, a person has received the, the remission, the removal of their sins uh, there made by Jesus uh, on the cross. As we close our study here on this third chapter, I, I wanted to draw our attention for a moment back to verse 30. Back to where John the Baptist says that he must increase, but I must decrease. It was true of John's ministry there, the ministry that John had been called to, but, but I believe that, that those words have a much greater application than just simply to John the Baptist's ministry there in the Jordan River. I believe that, that it has application to each and every one of our lives. That when a person accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, as, as Jesus had said, unless a person is born again, he cannot enter into the, the kingdom of God. And so there is that born-again experience where, where now we become alive, we become connected, our cell service is, is turned on, and, and we now have communication and intimacy and fellowship with the Father, with God. And how glorious that is when, when that transpires in, in a person's life. And we become a, a new believer at that moment. We become a babe in Christ. A, a second birth brings about a, a spiritual baby. And, and now we have lived our whole lives up until that point, separated from God and without the indwelling spirit of God in us. We have been a, car <coughs> we have been a carnal man, a carnal person. And, and now, we're a spiritual child of God. And we need to begin to learn how to grow and how to mature in, in our faith. He must increase in my life. Christ must increase in my life. As the Holy Spirit comes in, into our life and and begins now to change us, to, to take and, and to make us into that new person. He, he begins to move through our lives and convicting areas of our lives and sin that has been in our life. And, and we see as a, a new believer how, 
how, how radical that transformation is. God begins to sculpt us and to change us. The, the inward man is changed uh, by the, the, the process of this sanctification. And, and as the inward man changes, then, then the outward man is manifesting the, the changes that are going on inside of us in the inward man. He must increase. But it says, but I must decrease. I have to decrease that Christ can increase uh, in my life. And so how does that work? What, what exactly does that mean? It means there is a relationship between the headship of Christ in our life and, and our own servanthood to that headship of Christ. You see, prior to Christ, we were the head of our own life. We were the boss of our own life. We got up and did what we willed. We, we looked at the things, ordered the things, and, and we were the ones that were in charge of our lives. But when we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, He becomes the boss uh, of our life, and, and we now, live to serve him but he only has the room to operate that is vacated by us when we are filled with ourself then then there is no room for christ in us when when we are filled with ourselves when people see us they only see us when we're filled with christ when people look at us they see christ in us and that is the goal for people to experience God's love through us. That we would love them with the love of God. And so we must increase, decrease, <laughs> that he may increase. I think of it as a, a vessel. We are a vessel. And this vessel now is filled up with self and and i see self now as as rocks and and we've got some big rocks that are in this vessel and we have some smaller rocks that are filled in with that vessel and then and then we've got some sand that is in that vessel as well and then the the vessel gets saved and the water of the Holy Spirit of God is poured into that, that vessel. And there is only a, a, enough of an infilling to, to work between the, the rocks and the pebbles and the sand that is in there. As we are sanctified, rocks come out and that increases the the volume now of the water that is in the vessel and as more and more rocks come out as we continue to to allow the work of the holy spirit into us more of the spirit is present within our lives after the big rocks are taken out in our lives then then some of the smaller stones begin to be taken out and 
And with each of those departures in our life from from sin that has been in our life, preoccupation with self, there is more freedom, more of a filling of the Holy Spirit that is in our lives. And and the goal is, is that we would be emptied of ourself and that we would have the full measure of the Spirit operating in our lives. I must decrease. More of myself needs to come out of the vessel of my life if I want more of the Spirit involved in my life. But how does that work? How do we, how do, we do that in our life? As a new believer, as a, as a young Christian, we're, we're living now in a consciousness and awareness uh, of the Lord. But, but I know that when I was a, a young believer that, that there was so much of, uh, of my life that still was focused on self. And, and actually what I would do is then pray to God to help me get the things that I that I wanted in my life. It was still a a self-focus. I knew that I was saved. I knew that I was going to heaven. I knew that Christ had died for me and that my sins were washed away and and forgiven. And now I understood prayer to be that I could come and bring my petitions to God and, and I could get God's help in my life. But the problem in my early years of being a Christian was was that the focus of my life was still my life. My life. God, help me to have a better life rather than Christ's life in me. The best way that I can explain it is... (laughs) is the relationship of a, of a boss and a, and a secretary. A boss comes in and the secretary comes in and, and the boss now begins to tell the secretary the, the things that need to be accomplished uh, that day and the, the secretary records those things that the boss wants to see accomplished and, and her job is to accomplish those things for, for the boss. In a very real way, each day I would get up and I would think about my day and, and I would think about the things that I wanted God's help with. God, I want you to help me with this and I want you to help me with that. I have a, an important contract that I'm negotiating this day and I have a, a conversation that I need to be having over here with, with this person and, and God, could you help me with those? Could you grant me the things that my heart desires? And, and so I would pray about the things that, that were set before me. Very much it was me sitting down with God and telling God the things that I wanted to see accomplished today and to see if he would help me. But you see, I have to decrease that he may increase in my life. As I have walked with the Lord more and more, 
I began to understand that, that he is to be the boss. And that I am to be the, the secretary. I used to sit with pen and paper in hand and, and do my devotions in the morning. The things that I am trying to get done today, the things that were occupying my mind and my heart. And I would write those things down and talk to God about them. But now when I do my devotions, I, I still have the pad of paper and I still have the, the pen. But my conversation is completely different. Now my conversation with the Lord in the morning is, good morning, Lord, and what would you have me to do today? You see, the secretary's workload for the day depends upon what the boss gives to her. What would you like to see me accomplish today? And now the most important thing that there is is what the Lord wants done today. Lord, how can I love today? Who do you want me to love today? What are the things that, that you want me to accomplish? Who do you want me to reach out? God, tell me what you want me to do today. And to record those. Who does the Lord put onto your heart? What does the Lord whisper to you? How can love now come out of my life? You see, before I was trying to fill my life. But now we see that, that as a child of God, it's not about me being fulfilled, but it's about the overflow of God's love in my life onto others. I wish that I could say to you that, man, my vessel is uh, empty and I am just completely filled with the Spirit and, and that I have got this down perfectly. I, I want to assure you that that is not the case, not nearly the case. But this principle that I must decrease, I must decrease, I must empty myself of self in order to allow the work of the Spirit to move freely in my life. That I work at that. Jesus explained it this way. He said that we have to die to ourself. That dying to ourself, that, that is that emptying of self, that preoccupation with self, seeking to gratify self, to fulfill self. When I begin to think about the people that, that are making me mad, the things that are frustrating me, the things that aren't going right in my life, I, I recognize that's all about self. All about self. And when I'm thinking about self, <laughs> I'm not thinking about God. And I'm not thinking about others. And so, God, free me of self. I have to just die to self. I have to empty myself of self. I have to decrease. <laughs> 
and my self-importance. And now, God, what would you have me to do today? How can I please you today? By loving others. I cannot love others when I am filled with self, when I am seeking to advance my own wants and my own needs. But instead, here, we are called to, to magnify the Lord, to point everybody to God. And we point them to God by, by loving them. And we're able to love others with the love of God as we continue to empty ourselves of ourselves. John's important calling in ministry was to point everybody to Jesus Christ. And, and we all have that same ministry to point to everybody. He is coming again. He is returning. And we want to point uh, everyone to the love of God. But we have to decrease in our lives that he may increase. To him be all glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And help us, God, Help us to be able to allow more of the Holy Spirit to move in our lives and in our hearts. Help us to, Lord, to decrease that you may increase in our hearts and in our minds and our homes and our lives and our marriages, and our relationships at work, our relationships with one another. Father, bless us. Fill us to overflowing that your love may well up inside of us like springs of living water that overflow onto <coughs> to everyone that is around us. Lead us and guide us into your perfect truth. Bless now. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.